Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am your host, the son of Odin, Neil Pollock, the greatest living American writer and the editor-in-chief of Book and Film Globe, www.bookandfilmglobe.com. We cover the worlds of books and film and streaming TV and so much more. We have a special theme for this week's podcast. It's Viking Week. That's right. Viking content is hot. You have Vikings of Valhalla on Netflix. We've written an article about that. But this week, we're going to be talking about the new Robert Eggers movie, The Northman, with our film critic Stephen Garrett. And we're also going to talk to Greg Ford about the final season of The Last Kingdom, which has a heavily Viking-themed content base as well. But first, I'm going to talk about a little controversy that has erupted on the internet over the last week with the release of the trailer of Thor Love and Thunder. A Lady Thor has appeared, and that is making some people upset. Most people not, but some people are. It's Viking Week! Enjoy the Viking content! We'll see you after this Viking-ish musical interlude. After making fans endure a wait that made an afternoon at the DMV seem short, Marvel finally released the Thor Love and Thunder trailer this week. This mostly seemed to satisfy the denizens of Nerdopolis, but one short clip at the end of the trailer has created some controversy. Even though everyone knew it was coming, the trailer once and for all confirmed the appearance of Natalie Portman's Jane Foster as Lady Thor, or Female Thor, or the Mighty Thor. It all depends on how deep your comics knowledge goes. A mini Gamergate-style controversy ensued on the tubes. Thor is a man, people exclaimed. What is Marvel doing? A semi-well-known movie YouTuber named Tyrone Magnus decried the forced diversity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, at this point, criticizing pop culture for being woke is like criticizing the wind for being gusty. It's simply a natural property of the time in which we live. And there's also plenty of canonical precedent for Jane Foster, who previously had been known as Thor's girlfriend, as Lady Thor. This fan service is nearly five decades in the making. Marvel did a what-if issue in 1978 in which a very leggy Jane became the mighty Thor in the place of nerdy Dr. Donald Blake. For a more contemporary iteration of the character, there was the 2014 Thor series, which posited a non-what-if scenario where Jane, now dying of breast cancer, transforms into Thor, which gives her superpowers, but also negates the effects of her chemotherapy. Somewhat annoyingly, they didn't reveal this until issue 8 of the series. In terms of social realism, this is right up there with, let's go back in time and kill Hitler. But comics also ask us to believe that radioactive spiders give teenagers superpowers, so we must go with the flow, and Lady Thor is now canon. This is all probably a bit much, but it's in no way out of step with contemporary comics culture. We have a black Captain America and an alternate universe female Captain America. There is a black female Iron Man and also a white female Iron Man, a black Spider-Man, a Spider-Girl, and a Spider-Gwen. Marvel introduced a Spider-Woman and a She-Hulk in the 1970s. There is a girl Wolverine and a young female Hawkeye. The original Captain Marvel was a man, and the current Captain Marvel was once Ms. Marvel. I don't know if this is forced diversity or not, but it's also 
totally in tune with the mainstream audience of this product. Thor, the Norse god of thunder, was originally a white man. However, that was a long time ago, and at this point, most people are willing to accept heroes of all shapes, sizes, races, and genders. That said, I would like to push for a Jewish Thor. Maybe he can pay someone else to carry the hammer for him. Or say, oi, it's so bifrosty in here. I can make these references because I'm Jewish myself. And so, for that matter, is Natalie Portman, the new Lady Thor. Why is this Thor different from all other Thors? I'll show myself out. We'll be right back with Stephen Garrett to talk about the Northmen. He was born of a mother and a father, (laughs) and he was destined to go to the movies every day for his entire adult life. He vowed that one day he would take revenge on the movies. He is Stephen Garrett. He is our film critic, chief film critic for Book and Film Club. He is a wolf and uh, (laughs) of sorts. And a man, and he has reviewed The Northman this week, a film from director Robert Eggers, who also has directed such art house favorites as The Lighthouse and The Witch. And now The Northman. Hello, Stephen. Hello. Hello. So I, I saw The Northman as we talk. I saw it this evening as well. So I'm I am up to date on all things Northman. And I got this is a real bone rattler of a movie. Let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it it is visceral. There's a lot of viscera, and it's yeah. also very visceral. And uh, you know, I thought it was I thought it was pretty great, honestly. Like I, oh yeah, me too. It had plenty of action, plenty plenty of intrigue. I thought it was very well written. Uh, and I thought it was extremely well acted. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, for what it was, I mean, Nicole Kidman. There was there, was, there was, Nicole Kidman plays Alexander Skarsgård's mother. And the scene where they she confronts him with the truth about his right parents that that scene was terrific. I mean, terrific, was, yeah. And it was actually for the one moment of the movie where you weren't <laughs> like, being beaten over the head with a symbol, <laughs> I mean, symbol as in like Norse runes, but also like just the the drums. That it was it was very clangy. It was just very it was very loud and and jarring film. It is. It is. I mean, look, it's too much of a good thing. I think to a certain extent they could have dialed down a little bit and also given it more than just uh, the, the, you know, like vengeance doesn't have nuance, you know? And I think the scene you're talking about is that one moment, that opportunity where he could have had a bit of self doubt about what am I actually doing with my life? You know? <laughs> well, you can see it with his, in his eyes. Yeah. And, and at that moment he realized like, Oh, this has all been pointless nonsense. Exactly. Yeah. It, it, it really like takes the, all the cliches of this thing down a notch. Like he, Skarsgård plays the son of some sort of Scandinavian Viking king guy who's ruling over like some ticky tack island empire. Ethan Hawke plays the dad. And there's some very strange initiation scenes early on. 
Uh, and then Ethan Hawke gets dispatched pretty quickly, and the rest of the movie is Skarsgård trying to avenge his death. I mean, it's very it's it's, it's very similar, and, and I think they actually based it on the plot of Hamlet. Right, 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 right. But again, like, is that a get out of jail free card? Like, hey, this is the source material for Hamlet. So we're just as good as Hamlet. Right. And you're like, no, you're actually not. You know, it's not Hamlet, but it was pretty good. There wasn't a lot of dead air, even though it's kind of a long movie. I mean, the story beats all made sense to me. Right. I just got a little exhausted by his vengeance, you know, his one note vengeance kind of character description and sketch and you know you have this wonderful opportunity when his his mom kind of reveals the truth spoiler alert which we won't you know actually reveal uh unless you want to but you know no no we're not going it, to, but it's somewhat surprising it was somewhat surprising even to me i was like oh, fantastic it was fantastic you know it honestly was fantastic but he you know he had slight soul searching like you said in his eyes you could see that the flicker of doubts and like oh my god what have i done with my life and then it was like you know what he kind of doubles down and he's like that doesn't change my mind. I'm still going to devote my life to like one note vengeance, even though I have an off ramp with Olga, you know, Anya Taylor joy, basically pointing towards a future where he could have a kingdom with future Kings and a life and a rich rewarding sort of, you know, experience. Right. He basically impregnates a sexy Russian, Russian witch, which is <laughs> something that most men wish they could do at least once in their lives while also being covered in mud and blood and shit. I mean, the filth, the epic filth in this movie. I mean, it's like it, it makes the filth in Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I'm sorry. Like, look, look, you know, clean. I mean, everyone is so fucking filthy throughout the entire movie. My God. No, it's a wild ride, man. And I, I got to hand it to Eggers. Like he is, he goes balls deep when he does these kind of portraits of masculinity gone sideways you know i mean he did it with the lighthouse and to a certain extent the witch is as feminist as it is it is a portrait of masculinity smothering good women who are trying to basically live their lives in their own way and are forced into being witches in order to you know wreak their revenge you know but i think it's about this movie is i feel like i don't think it's going to be a big mainstream success but I do think that it's not just an art film. Like there's plenty, it's just plenty of action that for the bros, you know, and, uh, oh, for sure. you know, there are strong female characters. I mean, you say, yes, look, dude, there are literally two strong female characters, you know, there's only like three strong male characters. It's not like there's like <laughs> most of the characters just exist to be gutted. Or have, their, <laughs> or have their noses sliced off or, you know, like the one guy whose entire character is like, he's the guy whose nose got cut off. Yeah, I know exactly. And every time you look at the shot of him, you're just like, how much did that cost the CGI dude to like paint out his nose, you know, and put a, like a helmet over it. I mean, it's so brutal. It's just, it's just ridiculous. Also, <laughs> The most of the action takes place in Iceland, you know, the two thirds back, two thirds of the movie and Iceland. This is Iceland with no development. This is just like, you know, ninth century rural Iceland. And uh, it's gorgeous. It is absolutely gorgeous It's absolutely gorgeous. But honestly, you know, that scene where they're playing that kind of like proto rugby or whatever the hell it is, it, it is some sort of site specific, deeply researched game of brutal 
chance, you know, and and skill. Right. It's like there's a ball, but really they just beat each other to death with club. It's just an excuse to beat more people to a pulp, to bloody pulps. And, you know, threaten the the his half brother, you know, who he saves, but then he eventually like, you know, rips the heart out of or whatever. And that's pretty badass and cool. But this is Conan the Barbarian with a PhD. I it honestly is. And it's it's a little too deeply researched for my own good. Like I just want something that's fantastically wild instead of something that's authentically researched, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, there, this is a little of both. There's, there's, there's Norse mythology and there's, there are scenes of fantasy scenes of Valhalla and Valkyries. And there, there, there is some witchcraft and there's, you know, Willem Dafoe plays this shaman who, <laughs> and then there is that weird scene where he goes to claim the sword. What's what's the sword called? The, that's great. You know, that where he kind of fights a ghost. He fights you know? a ghost. That's pretty badass. Like, I would love more Willem Dafoe. I would love more Bjork. Bjork pops up for all of three minutes or whatever and does her crazy Bjork thing. What a fantastic scene, though. There oh. are lots of scenes of prophets and prophecies and weird, you know, poofing away of things into dust. And I, so I don't know. I mean, I would, I would say it's more like a master's degree than a PhD. I mean, it, it was authentically entertaining. Um, and, you know, my wife, who I saw it with, uh, I showed her the, the preview. She's like, I'm all in. I got to see it. Really? Yeah, she, really? She, well, she loved, yeah, she like, she she is very into, you know, this is the thing. It's Viking week, Stephen. And oh, I'm sorry. Yes, you're right. There's a lot of Viking, there's sort of a Viking chic going on. Like you have, you have <laughs> the last kingdom, you have the Viking show, you have Vikings Valhalla. My wife seems to have an endless supply of like audio books about Vikings that that she listens to, and then there's of course Thor, right? You know, yeah. and, and all that mythology. And while that is that is about as authentic to Norse mythology as um, as the Northmen, no, but you know, you know, but you know what I'm saying. Like, there's a lot that there's something um, in the culture right now that makes this the, the, these grimy, turdy people very appealing. Right, right, for sure. And also the Valhalla. I mean, you know, these strong women who are riding horses up, you know, into the heavens. The Valhalla, and incidentally, what's going on with her teeth? Does she have braces on or does she have some sort of weird carvings? Are there like scrimshaw on her teeth? Like what's going on there? It's like some sort of grill. It's some sort of grill that's going on. Yeah, she's she's uh, riding her souped up horse in, into Valhalla <laughs> where, where, wearing a grill. I don't know. Look, this movie is this movie is crazy and it's not a sequel. It's not IP from comic books or a TV show. It is like an authentically weird and exciting period piece with some magic and a little bit of pretension. And I you know, it's like it's it's nice to see a real movie in the theaters again. Yes. This thing is it is a real movie worth talking about. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, the theatrical experience with this, absolutely. You know, you need to see these overwhelming images on a screen that's that's bigger than your house. And, you know, with a sound system that's just going to absolutely rock your your bones and your soul, you know. But I just, it's over two hours. Like, after a while, I was like, I get it. You know, it's like enough already. Like, yeah, yeah maybe, I get it. Maybe one beat of vengeance too many, but... But hey, man, it sticks the landing on the volcano, the volcanic, oh, like the, volcano the, scene. the nudes, the naked sword fight in the volcano. Is pretty, oh my like, god, insane. yes! And it was kind of like, kind of somewhat reminiscent of the f- so- volcano sword fight between 
Obi-Wan Kenobi and Skywalker at the end of Revenge of the Sith, but like way better shot and much filthier. And more historically authentic, right? Yeah, because there it, it is well regarded in history that the Northmen fought his uncle at the edge of a volcano <laughs> naked to try to reclaim you know there's nothing historic about that this isn't this isn't like charlemagne you know becoming king of the franks come on no man it's a berserker movie it's a berserker of a movie it'll come in and rip your throat out and spit out the blood and howl at the moon you know if that's what you're in for that's what you're gonna get in spades for sure well, it is Viking week, so happy Viking week, Stephen. <laughs> Amen. Or, you know, like whatever, Odin's beard. May May Freya bless you with all <laughs> of her testicles. <laughs> her t- necklace of testicles. I'm sure Freya has a necklace of testicles. Yeah, she she collects <laughs> she collect she she slays her suitors and then collects. I don't know. I don't, it's not that far off what actually happens in the movie. Yeah, pretty much. That sounds like a deleted scene. <laughs> All right. The Northman in theaters now. Happy Viking Week. Oh my god, this movie. Viking Week continues here on the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I am talking to Book and Film Globe contributor G.L. Ford, Greg Ford, who wrote about one of my favorite TV shows, The Last Kingdom, which season five has just recently aired on Netflix. And it is a uh, Viking extravaganza, The Last Kingdom, but it's also a Anglo-Saxon extravaganza. Greg, how are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty well. How about yourself? I am good. So I I love The Last Kingdom. It is such a um, fun and exciting show, and there's a lot of Viking action. Well, they, they call them Danes. It's they call them Danes, but sure, Vikings. I mean, you know, they've got the right kind of armor. They got the helmets. They wear the fantastic face paint, and they growl, and they snort, and they snarl, and they... Well, they chop off a lot of heads. And they talk about Valhalla and, you know, yep. they, and they row from Iceland or Norway or Denmark or wherever they're coming from. And they're trying to, you know, get a foothold in merry old England. But uh, it's not possible uh, because of the efforts of the hero, one of the, my favorite characters in all of TV, Uhtred uh, Ragnarsson, Uhtred of Bebenberg, who was born an English noble, but then Bebenberg is like this place up in Northumbria. It's like a castle, and the Danes raid it and kill his family, most of his family, and adopt him. And so he's like kind of half Dane, half English, and he's got these divided loyalties. He's just such a fabulous character. Well, he's played by this. I didn't realize he was played by a German actor, Alexander Draymond. I don't know where he found his accent. I mean, I've, I've spent some time with some Danes here and there, and 
It's not exactly a Danish accent, but, you know, it works. It's not uh, Danish. It's not British. But, you know, he just, Draymond just, like, fully committed to this oh, yeah. character and to this performance, and he just embodies him. And, yeah, his accent is ridiculous, and there's a lot of over-the-top, absurd melodrama, and yet the show still works. And I think, well, part of the reason it works is just, you know, it has um, a, a fabulous supporting cast. Like, you know, the, the Danes kind of come and go. Are, they're slaughtered, you know, gradually by the British armies, but uh, you know they're always like entertainingly dirty. And the and the royal family, the British royal family, is excellent. You know, the first few seasons is Alfred the Great, and, and then in later seasons it's his son and daughter Edward, and and also uh, Ethel Fled, the Lady of Mercia. The lady yes, of, the Lady of Mercia, <laughs> the love interest, right? Now, you, I didn't realize this. You wrote about one of the earlier seasons when it was Alfred kicking around. Yeah, I've written a couple of pieces about The Last Kingdom because I really do love the show. You know, it has this um, old-fashioned swashbuckle melodrama. Lots happens, and it, it just, to me, harkens back to sort of the golden age of, like, TV miniseries. It doesn't try too hard to be artistic. Uh, there is some history. Ethel read The Unready plays a part and there's all these there's lots of there's always an ethel helm or an ethel wall or an there's always a ethel ethel fred i don't know you know there's there's always an ethel you know but the show itself is like it's it, it really like utra is such an interesting character because you know he's always at war he's always tragically killing people but he really he just kind of want he wants just to go back to his castle and he wants everybody to stop fighting yeah, that's right. He just wants to be left alone. If only everybody would just let him go back home to Bedenburg and, you know, he would just be happy to stick around there and maybe be a farmer. But he's he's so good at killing people, though. He's, he's, the, he's England's greatest warrior, and he's also the, the greatest warrior of the Danes. And he, like, and everybody, I mean, there's there's always there's these shifting alliances and these betrayals and it's just this constant shifting thing and you know I noticed in season five two Utrecht's having no no sex like in previous seasons he was always having sex there was a whole right. there was a whole season where he was having an affair with a witch right I forgot that, about the witch that's right that, that was pretty good but then and then he got involved with uh, the late the lady of Mercia uh, right and then that ended because she had to be chased in order to rule Mercia. And, and that, that that's all gone now. All, all of that has faded. And, you know, and so, like, the cast is constantly changing. And I feel, I feel like other than his um his childhood friend and love, Brita, who is this mad Danish woman, like, most of the original cast has, like, kind of gone by the wayside. But they, for the most part, it's pretty clear who's who regardless, you know. And I, they do – and I think a lot of that has to do with – I don't know, maybe it's the costume choices and the accents. And they and I think they repeat over and over again who this person is, who that person is. So so they get it, they get it across. The, quality, the, the writing is of surprisingly high quality. And also, like I said, the acting, it's over the top and corny, but it's pretty good. You know, there's well, everybody's so committed. Yes. Well, yes, they're committed. Obviously, like this is not a the every all the internal logic makes sense, right? It's not they know where they're going. And well, it's based on these books by Bernard Cornwall, who is hardly like a historical writer who has who like is married to accuracy, and yet, you know, the details are all basically there. Like Alfred the Great did have a daughter named Ethel Fled, who did become the Lady of Mercia, and his son Edward 
did unite, you know, Wessex and Mercia and all that. Like it's all there. You know, there's even there is even some historical basis for Utrecht. So, I mean, he's sort of a composite figure, right? He's like a super, yeah, he's like kind of a, like a superhero. Like right. Uhtred's, Uhtred's not going to bite the dust. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like, if you haven't seen the show, you know, there's five seasons on Netflix. And if you have any interest in British history, in Vikings, if you at all like swordplay or, you know, people's testicles being cut off. No. <laughs> well, and then they're going to be doing a movie, too, just to wrap things up. And I mean, it seems like they wrap things up pretty well already. No, I don't, don't spoil it. Cause we, you know, we, we're, we're snacking on this. My wife and I, we've only seen six or seven episodes. Uh, OK, OK. So we're not there yet. But, yeah, I guess they're going to they're going to do a, a wrap up uh, movie as well. I don't know. They could just keep going. Like I was I thought it was done after season four. And then my wife was like, "Oh no, there's a new Last Kingdom," and I was—I mean, I was super psyched. Like there, there are a few shows that uh, I understand that there are shows of higher quality. Like this right. isn't this isn't Mad Men. It's not Succession. It's not Breaking Bad. You know, it's 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 cheesy and corny and kind of Euro. But you know, there are a few shows that I enjoy watching more than The Last Kingdom. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of that one about Catherine the Great, which I believe is called The Great, except with more bloodshed. You well, know, but, it, but, but The Great is like suffused with irony and like anachronism. And, you know, there are this season they did have a black priest, you know, but The Great is like there's all kinds of black and Indian. And yeah, that's true. That's in, true. In, you know, in 18th century Russia, whereas The Last Kingdom, it's pretty much just dirty white people. Yeah. <laughs> Lots of dirty white people. So I don't know. I mean, I love the show. I'm 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 always glad to talk about it and write about it. And uh, you know, you have a great article on Book and Film Globe this week to help us celebrate. Yes, Vikings well, week. Th- thank you for letting somebody else have a stab at the Last Kingdom. <laughs> stab is, yeah, stab is the right word. There's That's a lot, right. A lot of stabbing in the show. Everyone's always people get stabbed, and you think, well, they're gonna die. But apparently you don't always die when you get stabbed. If I got stabbed in my shoulder with a kitchen knife, I would probably die. Yeah, an exacto knife even. Yeah, yeah. Just or just like I mean, I mean I mean a butter knife. Yeah. <laughs> right. I don't mean like a like a kit like a like a chopping knife. I mean like a butter knife. I would I would I would die uh, of fear. And these these people are constantly getting axed and maced and sorted and it was a bloody time. Yes so, indeed. Nice ninth century England. Not a lot of high tech. Nope. All right. Well, The Last Kingdom on Netflix now. Greg, thank you so much for talking with me about it. It was a pleasure. All right. Thanks, Greg Ford. The Last Kingdom is on Netflix. What a great show. One of my favorite shows ever, really. It's so cheesy, so fun, so semi-historical. I love The Last Kingdom. And thanks to Stephen Garrett for talking to me about The Northmen, which is also quite a Viking picture. This has been the Viking edition of the Book and Film Globe Week in Review podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope you enjoy reading the site. We're at www.bookandfilmglobe.com. I'm Neil Pollock. I host this podcast every week for you and yours. 
we will talk to you soon. Yeah, yeah. Ding dong. I swear and burst when I see what we become. Come on, everyone. Yeah, yeah. A ding dong. Come, come, my baby, we can get love on. Yeah, yeah. Ding dong. When I see you, I feel a ding ding dong. Original production. Most podcasts are awful. Most news is noise. What you need in your ears is real news. Narrated. You need Audio Hopper. Human narrations of the most compelling news, culture, and entertainment stories. You choose the topics and the publications. Audio Hopper gives you a commercial-free straight read of the story. Read by real voice actors, not annoying computer voice simulators. Get a variety of points of view and real news. Audio Hopper. Real news narrated. In the App Store.